Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we talk about pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. Carly Adams is back, and today we're talking about Camille from Parenthood. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member, become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. Parenthood, the TV show debuted March 2nd, 2010 on NBC and introduced America to the Bravermans, a reimagining of the Ron Howard 1989 film of the same name. This show follows Camille and Zeke and their four adult children, Adam, Sarah, Julia, and Crosby. Each child has their own life, but the anchors are mom and dad. But before we dive in, let's re-meet our guest. Carly Adams is here again. If this is your first time tuning in with us, let me tell you about Carly. She's a home organizer based in Sacramento, California, and owner of Tidy Revival. She has been featured on previous episodes like Moxie, 10 Things I Hate About You, and She's All That. She's also a pop culture makes me jealous Patreon member, and she's my friend in real life. So obviously, I'm always excited when she's here and that she's back again. Welcome to the show, Carly. Thank you, Jules. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Um, per usual, this is one of my favorite places to hang out. So thank you so much. Oh, I love that. Sometimes I feel like, what are some excuses? I mean, topics that I can send to Carly so we can have more recorded friend dates. <laughs> same, 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 same. It's super fun. I love it. No, I love it. I'm like very, very happy that you are doing this. I love your show. I'm a genuinely huge fan. Love being on it. Love telling people about it. Love, love everything about it. Yes. People, friends at home. I did pay Carly to say that. (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) No, but seriously join Patreon because there's even more fun and you're missing out. (laughs) That's also true. So since you've been on the season before already and our kickoff question is, you know, about like what you think, what you were grew up thinking about money or what you thought of wealthy women. um, I think the last time you were here, you focused more on the messages of money when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. So let's, so do you have like, do you remember what you thought of like wealthy women when you were a kid? That is an excellent question. Um, yeah, I think I just, I feel like I didn't really put things together, mm. you know, or like, and I know I mentioned this last time too. I know that some people had more money than other people. Mm-hmm. And I put it together at some point that like, I didn't necessarily have we didn't have as much as my parents would have liked, um, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, but there wasn't, it wasn't like a shame. There wasn't like a shame around it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't I'm the the haves and the have nots. Mm -hmm. It was, it didn't, I never remember feeling like that. Um, do you, do you remember like what symbols you took from pop culture as being signs of wealth if any this <laughs> this isn't really pop culture but I remember being with a friend um I remember being a friend we were with a friend we were like at Taco Bell with their mm-hmm. parents and parents are like okay get whatever you want oh and actually I think I might have said like okay so how like what's what's my spend limit? And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, just get whatever you want. I'm like, whatever. on the whole menu. Yeah. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. You mean I don't have to limit to the dollar menu? I mean, it was like, 
I could do simple math when I was a kid because I was like, all right, where, what are five bucks? All right, I got it. Like, yes. And then, you know, you're just, you're figuring it out. But they were like, yeah, get whatever you want. And I just thought that like my head exploded. I was like, I don't even, I don't even know what to take from this conversation anymore, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what does that even, I mean, I know what it means now as an adult, but as a kid, you're probably like, what does that even mean? Because oh we God, were similar, a- like mm-hmm. we were only one kid was allowed to have the clothing allowance a month. My mother had to clothe three children, which meant I never got anything new unless my auntie bought it for me or my grandma. Yeah. Because how had- do you clothe like 50 bucks a month for like, even Come in on. the 80s, I feel like wasn't enough to clothe one kid. No. When we had four kids, I was the oldest. People were like, oh, so you got the no clothes. Now, I got the neighbor's hand-me-downs, like, from church. And I was yeah. stoked. Was stoked. Yeah. I was never, you know, feeling like, why can't I have the blah, blah, blah. I was just, I was so stoked for whatever I had. Um, My parents were really good about teaching us about gratitude from an early age. And oh, that's so, nice. Yeah. And it wasn't, it felt, I mean, looking back, it really doesn't feel like it just feels like it was a nice lesson that I'm mm-hmm. happy that I learned. Yeah. There's not any like, you know, weird negativity around it. You know, it's not like be grateful. It's just like it's it was just, yeah, we're thankful for what we have. And and I felt I felt pretty like happy go lucky when I was a kid. It just it wasn't until, you know, you reach like I think like eighth grade was a turning point for me. Eighth grade, I decided that I wanted to be popular. And oh. Like I was on a mission. Oh, and if anybody remembers me. Like if anyone listens to this and they remember me from like seventh grade to like ninth grade, if they like remembered me in eighth grade, I think they they might be like, yeah, that tracks. Um, I think my sisters definitely would because I was like, I was, I was in it. I was like, what is what are the cool things to say? What are the cool things to wear? Who are the cool things people to hang out with? I yeah. want it. And, and then, then you and then you joined band. <laughs> Yeah, because I w- wanted to be cool kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you listen. You thought joining band would make you a cool kid? Listen, I'm going to tell you. Please, friends at home, no, I'm saying that from the lens of 1999. Okay, go ahead. You're going to tell me what? I'm going to tell you probably when I peaked in eighth grade. And it was this moment. And this stemmed from band. So I'm going to argue that it was cool. Because this was the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Maybe I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, When I was in eighth grade and we didn't go to the same middle school as guys, but Julie and I met in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When I was in eighth grade, I sang no doubt spiderwebs in front of the entire school at an assembly that they made us go to, to watch a band made of teachers play. But um, this kid in band was like, I have an idea. We should plant Carly in the audience. I wasn't even supposed to be at school. I was off track because we had year round school. Yeah, I was around. off track. Yeah. I was sitting in the audience and they're like, now we're going to need this. We're going to sing a song and we need just a volunteer. And I like raised my hand and they picked me because I'm planted. Mm-hmm. And then I came up and sang it and it felt pretty good. So I would argue band does make you cool as hell. I would like to know what the audience members thought of that performance from all those years ago. Um, I will track down <laughs> two people that I know for sure remember it. Okay. And I'm going, I'm like going to do that after this and I'll yeah, say, have them submit a quote. I will. <laughs> and please make sure to put it in the notes. Obviously. We're going to put that into the marketing strategy for this episode please see that you do <laughs> wait i'm so excited oh all right well now that we've sorted that out yeah, yeah yeah i don't think i asked you this last time as a child did you have any women in your life that were wealthy but you didn't quite understand or like didn't quite understand it 100 percent. did i ask you this question already Mm-mm. Oh, okay. No. So go ahead. go ahead. And I love it. Um, so we definitely had at least a couple family members, like on, you know, one on each side that I know 
for sure are like self-made millionaires. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I did not. And I, when I say self-made, it's because, you know, I know the rest of the family. Like this was not, this was not handed down. Right. Like that wasn't like live in this house for free that we gave you for free kind of situation. So you don't have to worry about paying a mortgage so you can make yourself like, cause there's varying degrees of how people can like access wealth to uplift family members, but self-made I think is like scrappy. Oh yeah. I mean like one of my family members, like I knew he was like shining shoes when he was a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And he was working from a young age. Yeah. Self-made. Um, and I didn't really realize it until, oh gosh, probably college. They like put that together. I'm like, oh, okay. 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 All right. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it was like real estate investing, which leads back to this episode. Yeah. And they that's how that's what everyone tells you to do to get a come up. It's crazy. But it's really I hard mean, to get into it. Oh, uh, yeah, man. I packed lunch for like five years. <laughs> so, yeah. So the short answer, yeah, you did. Yeah. And you didn't quite get it until you were an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can appreciate that because like when I asked the question about status of wealth symbols, you know, the obvious ones, nice cars. I didn't even, I didn't understand well, that. Good neighborhoods. Uh-huh. Um, I used quote, I used good neighborhood. I put air quotes around good neighborhoods for friends listening at home. Yeah. Um, always having like Nikes, like, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, these are just the newest Nikes. Like what? You don't have the newest Nikes kind of oh, attitude yeah. or that like kind of stuff versus me wearing my friends hand me down filas in eighth grade that were a half size too small. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'll make it work. Yeah. I mean, we were frequenters of Payless shoe source oh yeah rest in peace um and I think now as an adult there's certain things where I understand now what it means to be car poor house poor mm-hmm. um and also investing in like quality clothing is actually more cost effective than buying the cheap shit but it's harder to invest in the quality clothing because it means more money right now well yeah and especially when kids are like kids grow so quick, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think when I was, um, I know I mentioned this on the last episode, but like, you know, my parents and I, I also, you know, do the math of how old they were when, when I was yeah. like growing up and stuff. Um, but yeah, we definitely were, were, um, doing better financially we, we had reached a, a different economic status when I was in middle school, but I couldn't just like have whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So when I was in eighth grade, I like begged my parents for an Adidas, you know, those Adidas, uh, puffy jackets. Uh-huh. Those were all the fucking rage girl. And I think I had With to like, the save up. I think there might've been a room, uh, removable like hood. Mm-hmm. It was very puffy and I had a Navy and white one and I got it and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. I um, and I also begged them for a Jordan Jersey, which if anyone knows me, like I do not watch basketball. I never have, I probably never will. And it's not that I don't, you know, respect the game. I just don't really have an interest, but Jordan was like everything back then. I was like, please. And they were yeah. like, what are you talking about? No. And I was like, but it's so cool. And I was, they're like, you need no it's like that's very it's dumb. like a hundred and twenty dollars back in 1998 so or our daughter who's literally never ever ever put on a basketball game like yeah absolutely not if you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman a woman identifying a woman in a male-dominated industry and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member.
become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users why you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture. It makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest. Writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. Camille and Zeke Braverman live in Berkeley, California. Their home is in the hills and is on a large property. We know they raised their four children in this home. According to Redfin, at the time of this recording, the average median house price is $1.6 million in Berkeley, California. The average home in the 1960s, this is a global, this is a national statistic. This isn't isolated to Berkeley, but the average home in the 1960s was about $12,000. And according to this, according to CNBC, adjusted for inflation in 2018, that's roughly $98,000. Wow. So that's wild. Housing's clearly out of control. Mm-hmm. For those not familiar with California, it clearly gets pricey here, and it's been pricey for quite some time. More than the average costs in other states, but owning property can help leverage and change your wealth status. The Bravermans themselves vary in socioeconomic status. So let's dive into the matriarch. Camille is a painter. She's an artist. She's calm and patient. Even with adult children, she still manages to maintain the same level of expectations as when her kids were little. A fully stocked fridge, baking treats, the house is ready to receive guests almost at any time. So when you first watched this show, what did you think of Camille? Um, I love this show so much. I was a loyal, loyal watcher. Um, and I've watched the whole thing again. Too, mm-hmm. but I didn't rewatch for this because Parenthood burned in my mind. In well, and it's way. so many seasons. Like, who's got time to watch the entire series? It's a lot before plus, an like an hour and a half recording. Plus, so many tears. You know, like mm-hmm. so many tears. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Camille because straight off the bat, they place her as a complicated and complex character, which I absolutely loved because it just kind of set the tone for the whole show. Yeah. Like you're not like, you know, from day one, it's not Camille's perfect. Oh wait, she's not perfect. It's just like Camille is, she's a complicated woman. She's got her own backstory. Her and Zeke are kind of on the rocks. That was a big thing Mm -hmm. in season one. And they just didn't have the most communicative 
of marriages and there were some infidelity and they just really got into it. Um, and I also established that there were a lot of things that she gave up to be a mom mm-hmm. that she wanted to make sure that she took the time to focus on herself because she was in her third act. But yeah, I love that she's warm and she's nurturing, but super complex. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, because to be in that position, you know, your comment about how she gave up a lot to be the mom that she was. And that's so that generation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can assume that they probably bought their homes, their home sometime in the 60s or the 70s mm-hmm. because of the age of the children of their adult children so they're already at some sort of advantage because they're at the right place at the right time um and I always kind of felt for her because she clearly wanted to flourish in some sort of artistic career and it had to remain a hobby yeah had to remain a hobby Mm -hmm. And you definitely got the distinct impression, especially in the beginning, that Zeke didn't truly understand what that meant to her Mm -hmm. and that she'd kind of been harboring some resentment about that too. Yeah. That kind of comes to a head. But yeah, it was very much like I've put a lot on the back burner and now I need to take care of me and Mm -hmm. you, everyone needs to like get on board or get out of my way. Yeah. And I love that because I think that's kind of the first time we see it in television where it's done in a way that feels like what I was seeing play out in real life. Yes. Yes. Specifically with parents who ended up getting married young, Mm -hmm. having kids quickly Mm -hmm. and probably at some point or another deciding to stay together because of the kids Mm -hmm. and you know things were very rocky in the beginning uh in the first season of parenthood and you did really get you know you got nervous for the whole family like were they not going to make it was this it and you could tell that she just had been bottling up a lot and Mm -hmm. was just at her she was like almost at the breaking point of the marriage and a lot of it had to do with yeah her artistic the artistic side of herself that didn't get to do all the things that she would have wanted to take a chance on Mm -hmm. and that ripple effect of divorcing after 35 40 years is totally different than when you divorce when your children are super little because Mm -hmm. when they're little that just becomes normal you're not sort of feeling like your parents just lived a lie because you get to see your parents become independent people of each other and like I said that becomes normal but in adulthood when you think about it with parents sort of split up even later than if you're in your 20s when your parents split up I mean like Adam had teenage has a teenage daughter so did so did Sarah I mean you know and Julia's kids were little Crosby whatever is Crosby um but like even at that point so like you've left the nest and now you're established with your own family and your own family dynamic and supporting your own family in whatever way and then your anchor completely disintegrates like that's that would be huge too for them like that would rock their kids I think a little bit harder because then it's now like well how do we learn new at this stage that would rock their world and I think Mm -hmm. to an ex like a large extent it did when they kind of realized that things weren't as stable as they had just imagined mm-hmm. and assumed that things aren't and I think too that's interesting because a lot of times in shows like this it could be in it could be the easy way out to have the grandparents as like supporting characters and not really fully flesh them out mm-hmm. so for them to go super deep and just establish them as the anchors of the family and have it really be a show about the whole family. Yeah. Not just the siblings, um, but like every single person. Mm-hmm. I just thought was really, really interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I agree. The other thing I was thinking about too, 
want because I think about this all the time because you know like home ownership is a thing that I feel like is out of my reach in this current climate (laughs) probably now forever um unless I hit it big um you know but another another element to them if they had had their if their relationship had ended and I saw this a lot so I don't know if you saw this a lot you know you divide the assets you you basically like agree to sell the home during the divorce and then you split whatever is left. And, you know, it's like we're told all the time that's so tacky to talk about money and like what people get out of money and da 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 and like all these things. But when you think about it, like we talked about, you know, a really good path to make yourself put yourself in a good financial position is by owning property. Um, and so had they been divorced and they sold that house, I think they were thinking I think they did sell the house by the end of the series, right? Because didn't they move in with into the city? I think they sold the house at the very end, but I think maybe they were. Oh gosh! Because Camille wanted to move into the like she wanted to actually live that more fulfilled life, and Zeke was content with being like you know hidden up in the hills and whatever, and that was a point of contention. Mm -hmm. Barn garage. Yeah. And she wanted more of a vibrant lifestyle. And I get that because, you know, when you're in the, in San Francisco proper, you have like the opportunity to walk around and there's like neighborhoods, blah, blah, you know, but had they been divorced, it was like, she could totally live off of that money Mm -hmm. from just half of the sale. Yeah. And you'd almost, I mean, especially if you buy it for, let's say, let's say that they bought it for a hundred grand. Mm-hmm in the 70s yeah and then they're selling it because it's not even just there's like the little guest house and then the like barn garage mm-hmm. and then a very large place and then they have kind of like a lawn situation like it's a the fairly... backyard was massive because they were mm-hmm. always out there having these gorgeous family dinners oh yeah with like the the outdoor just mm-hmm. just wood furniture outside definitely no rain issues but they've got the barn to like put it in. Anyway, I think about that way too much. That's something that I think about all the time. I'm like- The rain or the barn? The rain. Yeah. I'm like, so did you move it in like seasonally or- And then I'm like- (laughs) It doesn't rain here, Carly. It used to. Yeah. I guess it rained more in 2010 than it does now. Oh, RIP rain. Oh my God. (laughs) And, um, And in Berkeley too, like, you know, things just warp faster with the fog yeah because there's and yeah say there's moisture in the air yeah um things just get like wood furniture would just get green and like moss it's gross yeah it's gross um so that's why i thought about it all the time anyway (laughs) feel free to cut all of this out (laughs) if they sold it now what would that be like for four million dollars millions of dollars millions of dollars multiple millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and we can assume by the time they're retired they don't have a mortgage yeah and one of them wouldn't be able to buy the other person out right did we ever learn what zeke did in his working life because i know he was a vet right like he was a vet yep he was a vet and he was a trans monster Okay, Rachel Green. <laughs> I don't know what he did. I don't know if they ever talked about it. I don't know. Or they at probably least they didn't watch, talk they about did, it like all the time. <laughs> we watch it back. We don't like, remember. Ugh. It's like the one thing we can't remember. I well, I was gonna say I feel like they didn't talk about it enough for it to stick. Because like you knew that Adam worked in footwear. You knew that Camille wanted to be an artist. You knew that Sarah was hopping around from job to job to job to job. You knew that Crosby was worked in the music industry. You knew Julia was an uh, was a lawyer. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Zeke's like just retired. Mm-hmm. They're, that's his story. They're like, him? Zeke? Oh, he's retired. He's he's a retired machismo. <laughs> he's old school and he's retired <laughs> and he yells at people all the time with the yelling. All the time with the yelling. <laughs> Man, Craig T. Nelson is a real good yell. Oh my gosh. Between that and Family Stone, I'm like terrified of Craig T. Nelson. Did you never watch Coach? Um, no, I didn't really watch Coach. Not really. He does some yelling in Coach too. Mm. I wonder if he was typecast. That's a good yell. Because you know what? Yell. 
I just watched Troop Beverly Hills for another episode, and he's kind of a ball buster in that one, too. Yeah, I can see that. I can and see them typecasting him for his yell and height, his and presence. Height. He's got like a very much like a. It's a commanding. That's the word. Yeah. He's got big boomer energy. Yes. Oh my God. He so does. But we so love him anyway. Love him so much. So much. Love him so much. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. We have merch. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today. Some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples, but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. We're looking for advertising partners. When you support the podcast, you're supporting a woman-owned BIPOC small business. We're looking for other small business partners who want to get in front of an audience of like-minded folks looking to smash the patriarchy and make cultural change. Email popculturemakesmejealous at gmail.com to get started. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users why you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. I'm going to be honest, writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. What do you think about Camille's evolution over the series? I love how much she finds her voice. Mm. She... I feel like she found a new chapter in her relationship. Mm -hmm. One that she was going to be happy with um, instead of like kind of putting up with things for the sake of everyone else. And I really, really love that because I think that we need to see more of that specifically from the generation right before us. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes a lot, especially in this current era, we do forget boomer women still had to fight and struggle and still a lot of them still conformed to what was the expectation, even though there were women in the streets, even though there was Gloria Steinem, even though there was Angela Davis, there still was the overwhelming, you will stay home. You will be the one whose career is affected. You will be the one raising the children. You will be holding everything down. Your husband will go and go to work and you will still make sure dinner's ready when he gets home. Like that message was still very heavy for boomers. And logistically, 
it was really, I can only imagine how difficult it might have been to imagine anything else, given that we weren't allowed to like have bank accounts by ourselves mm-hmm. or credit cards or own property. She couldn't have bought this house without a man. So it's really like a survival thing, mm-hmm. not so much, you know, options. Not so much with the options. And going out on your own, striking out on your own is really hard and scary. And when you don't have support, it makes it even harder. Like when I think about the way that Gloria Steinem still gets treated to this day, like, yes, now Gen X millennials and Gen Z praise her. But 50 years ago, you know, there was a very small fraction of people who thought she was actually doing good work. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. It really is. They were still asking when your last menstrual cycle was in the 70s on applications. For jobs? Uh Uh-huh. Like, that was a real thing because they wanted to know, because that's a way to, you know, are you going to be pregnant? Like, we need to know how fertile you are in case you get pregnant. I can't with this. Mm-hmm. there's so many things that i think are very easy to take uh for granted about our age mm-hmm. it's like a very luck of the draw situation yeah it's crazy yeah i agree like, a lot of i w- would love to think like i wouldn't put up with this shit i'm like with like if that's just like how life is yeah yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I have been in situations where things have happened and people have said, you need to tell HR. HR is not for me. HR isn't here to protect me. They are here to protect a very specific group of people in this organization. And if I go and I report this to HR, I'm the one losing my job. I'm the one getting blackballed. I'm the one having the smear campaign against, and I'm the only person with income to feed my child and make sure we have a roof over our head. So like those two, like I literally have two shitty choices. (laughs) So I make the shitty choice that causes the less damage to my household. That's the right answer. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people get very self-righteous about that kind of situation. Not like specifically me, you know, reporting to HR, but when you, they, we, we forget that if both choices are shitty, you are people like, just because people have choices doesn't mean they're good choices. Doesn't mean the yeah. options are good. It doesn't mean that those choices are things that you're willing to take a chance on. Mm-hmm. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you think that Camille was a positive representation of motherhood? Or woman, I, should I say womanhood? I don't even know what to say in that situation. I mean, the show's called Parenthood. Yeah. What, what, whichever one you want. It's your show. Do whatever you want. Let's say both. Let's start with motherhood first. Um, I feel like Camille reminds me of a a hug personified. Aww, I love that. Um. She also just vibe wise reminds me a lot of my own mom. I can see that. Like Julie, you know, my mom. Yeah, I can totally see that. Right. It's that Mm -hmm. it's just that same type of, it's just the same type of vibe. And that makes me, um, I feel like she just has a presence and, um, I guess for lack of a better word that I'm thinking of at this moment, um, aura that just feels very comforting and Mm -hmm. like you can always um like you could just always come to her yeah and give her a hug she's she's here with the mom hugs she's here with a listening ear and some sort of comforting (laughs) baked good um at any moment yeah and that she's a a constant and a and a rock and so yeah, I think as far as um as far as motherhood, I really can't like that's w- what more do you want? What mm-hmm. more do you want than Camille Braverman? Come on, yeah. guys. 
Yeah. And I think that she also is, like you said earlier, because of her complexities, it sort of create, it shatters the illusion that you have to be a perfect mom. You can still be all of these things, warm, comforting, a big hug, and still have problems and still have needs and still be frustrated. She did not always wear a brave face just to grit her teeth and get through it kind of situation like when she has enough she has enough and she lets you know so I I always felt like that was really good balance because it's not upholding this idea of perfection she's got moments that feel perfect but then she's got moments where she's like fuck you yeah yeah and everyone needs to get in line Mm -hmm. and I'm about to tell you why Mm -hmm. I'm upset right now and you're about to listen and understand and PS she's right. Just know that and just, just go along with it because she is right. Did you know that she's, um, the actress playing Camila is Bonnie Badia, Badia, Badia. Mm -hmm. She is, um, her main name is Culkin. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, I don't specifically know, but I want to so hard. She is Macaulay and Kiernan Culkin's auntie. <gasps> but I don't think they have a relationship. But from what it sounds like in interviews and stuff, it doesn't sound like they have a relationship because it sounds like their dad was a fairly toxic person. Um, and so yeah. it doesn't sound like. So it's there's their like a... dad's sister. Their dad's sister. Wow. So like. It sounds like they have memories from childhood, but it doesn't sound like there's currently a relationship from interviews that I've heard and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ironically, two movies we watch every Christmas, Home Alone and Uh, Die Hard. Do you think Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Or a movie that takes place during Christmas? It's not an opinion. (laughs) Fact. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't care either way, like about the, the, I know it's like a thing. I don't, I don't care to like get in the war, but we do watch it every Christmas. In our That's household. cute. You'll mm-hmm. have to come down. The state theater does um, Home Alone on the big screen. Ooh. You'll have to come down. Is it a double feature? Cause we, we want to make it a double feature. Like at our house. I movie. think they do Die Hard on a different day. Oh, no. Sorry. I meant Home Alone oh, 1 oh. and 2. <laughs> we have a because, lot of like, Christmas movies we like it, to watch. Well, because like we do double features in the sense of like, we'll watch The Sandlot and then we immediately watch Rookie of the Year. And Amazing. then I immediately, well, it's a triple feature. And then I immediately will watch A League of Their Own. Like I have, mm. you know, so now I'm con- like we're conditioned like the boy the other day was like I watched the Sandlot and then I really 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 wanted to watch the one where the kid breaks his arm and plays in the major league I was like oh yeah rookie of the year because you, when you were a child we watched Sandlot and then I immediately put on rookie of the year it's like three ninjas three ninjas kickback yes. you can't and then whatever the third one was that's the second three ninjas reference that came up today today yes i was talking about it in another recording when was i was it with becca no when i was recording with the duo from it's my screen time too i like oh. it, i brought it up it's one of my favorite movies from Shut childhood. Up. how did i not know this about you it is one of my favorite movies from childhood okay, i have to have that you know i have to have that del- like it's from childhood i'll still well, turn it you've on watched it yeah but it did not age well no it sure as shit did not age well but do i still watch it uh-huh 100 percent, 100 percent. i'm always trying to peer pressure my nieces and nephews be like do we want to watch like three ninjas but do you like, think no. you should expose them to that yes <laughs> as a child that played three ninjas for like years wait absolutely. which which one of the ninjas did you have a crush on I actually don't really want to answer this <laughs> on the thing because it's too embarrassing. You have to tell me offline. I won't share it on the podcast. But I'm dying now to know. I am not Camille has- Braverman in any way, shape, or form. My kitchen's too small to bake in. I fucking hate cooking dinner. 
I used to blame all the dishes in the sink on him because, you know, kids cycle through dishes so much that you're just like, oh my God, use the same cup in one day. Turns out it's you. He doesn't need to be here for me to do to fill up the sink with dishes. Damn. Yeah. That's rude. Right? It's all cups. <laughs> but cups, 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 cups. But um, you are like a hug personified. That is the nicest thing anyone has said to me. I love you. I love you too. Not a lot of people would actually agree with you on that because that is a very, it does take a lot to break through the tough exterior that I have. That's why I started I don't early. Trust people. <laughs> That's why you started early. You caught me before I was jaded and cold hearted. Who am I kidding? We all know I'm not cold hearted. I cry at everything. I just put up a very tough exterior to keep the haters out. I'll just agree with you. Sure. <laughs> it's very tough. OMG. <laughs> How do you think this TV show informed you about your opinions about like subtle or otherwise about wealthy women? Because remember friends at home, if you've forgotten because we've sidetracked so much, we are discussing the property wealth of Camille and Zeke Braverman, which is a form of wealth that rarely gets discussed, but is always encouraged to be investment property owners. Yeah. Um, okay. So having lived in the Bay area or just having ever been to the Bay area, I'm like, this show is about wealthy people. Mm -hmm. Like there's no question about it. That cannot be up for debate because if they own that house, which they for sure did, um, they're wealthy. They, they're millionaires. Um, but they weren't portrayed as such in the traditional, like it wasn't a show about wealthy people. Mm -hmm. It was a show about wealthy people, but the focus wasn't mm -hmm. that. And if anything, it's kind of like, Hey, it's, it's every family that, lives in a multi-million dollar property in Berkeley in yeah. the hills. Um, but so I just think that it's, it's really interesting because when we were, um, when you brought it up as a topic, I was just like, yeah, man. Um, I, it's, it's just really interesting because I think we've all known people who have had average jobs mm -hmm. but purchase at the right time mm -hmm. and it ends up being kind of a make or break situation yeah. um i know somebody who you know was a first responder in marin mm -hmm. and has one of the nicest homes i've ever seen in real life yeah and it it's just like you get in at the right time and it can be the game changer and i think that that's really i honestly kind of wish that they'd talked about it more on the show because yeah yeah because a lot of people tell me now just hang in there julia the market's gonna turn things are gonna crash again i don't know if it'll ever be like it was in like during the recession of our yeah. generation yeah. where people who did have means were snapping up dirt cheap properties in like incredible areas. My neighborhood now didn't, wasn't as badly as if affected homes were still pretty like in the 400,000 range, but there were several that did go for like 150, which they're the smaller version, you know, the smaller homes, but still like, that's kind of huge when you think about 20, um, 2010, and housing in California, oh, um, yeah. especially because prior to that, houses mm -hmm. down the street from where I live were going for millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And now we're back to that. Like a house just sold down the street from somebody I know for 1.2, which That's blows wild. my mind because yeah. why would you spend that much money to live in Modesto? <laughs> Sorry. So for me, well, so to finish my point, people are like, it's going to change in four years. You're going to, you'll be able to buy in this neighborhood because you know, blah, blah. And so, okay, you're okay. Whatever that conversation set it aside. What this show reinforced for me was to be stable, was to have, or not even stable, but to add to your subtly 
what the show reinforced subtly to me was owning a home is some sort of financial security. And then when we did Tammy Hackbarth's book club, when she read, when we all read, we should all be millionaires by Rachel Roberts. And Rachel Roberts was like, if you're not considering your home as part of your wealth, you need to be. That was just like the driver home of like, oh, like I literally, cause my joke is like, I have no assets. Come at me. I have no assets. Like you can have my $90,000 student loan debt. You're welcome. Cause I don't want it anymore. <laughs> so, so to see like this comfort that the, the Bravermans have, because when it comes time to, you need additional care. They could sell that home, move into a really nice care facility, still have money left over to leave to their children, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Whereas like that will, that at this present time, the trajectory is, is that will not be true for me and a lot of people I know. The housing market is more than just, I want a place to be able to paint the walls, whatever color I want it's so much more than that. And I, yeah, I think that I really do that. Like that we're talking about this show specifically in the context of real estate. Um, cause a lot of times it's just the real estate aspect of characters is just kind of glossed over, but this is a, this is a big one. Yeah. The house is 100% a character ah. on the show. There's yeah. my dog. <laughs> I know. Hi Joe. Um, but it really, there, there is no way that that didn't propel them into the next um, level of wealth. And then that sets up, set up their children for the same. So even though they took different paths, they, it just seems like they had a lot of um, opportunities that they might not have been able to consider had they not had that financial anchor in the first place. Cause they could do things. They could, you know, refinance and pay for college. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of stuff. That's just not available. If that's not an investment that you made at that specific time to that degree. And who knows, it could have been a larger lot that they sold off at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, and broke it down. I don't know. Yeah. I, you're right. We don't talk enough about what real estate can do to propel people's positions. And being, you know, just having access to that, even having access to that. I know there's programs that help with like down payments, but those can be heavily restricted too on where you can buy and what kind of property and the condition you can buy in and what you can resell it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have friends who um, got into a really good um, program that allowed them to own their first home but one of the stipulations is that they can only sell it for either what they bought or like a very very small percentage whoa Um, so it's very interesting because that's that has to be part of their long-term game plan yeah Um, now their mortgage is very low but they have to be strategic in the long term because as it has continued to gain so much value in the building that they live in. They can't take advantage of it because it's going to go to somebody in that same program when they sell it. Right. So there's always going to be somebody who's, um, you know, at that getting that affordable housing, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Right. But that's, that's the return is that they, they have to put money away and they can't, they can't just like, um, you know, take advantage of, it naturally happening with with the real estate investment. They have to be very strategic about it. That's interesting. I didn't realize things like Mm -hmm. that existed, which also, again, re like goes against the grain of what HGTV tells us, which is who cares if this is out of budget, it's got an apartment in the back, buy it for the price, rent out the apartment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the, the the perpetuation of real estate being, you know, how you, how you make more money <clears throat> while it's true, that's hard. It's go ahead. You have a, but the thing that I feel is a dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope with that is that if somebody 
hasn't gone into that real estate investment with a certain buffer that mm-hmm. they have financially, they're always one month away from being fucked. Yeah. One month. Because if you are between renters yeah, and somebody, you know, you don't, you're not getting the traction that you thought you would. Mm-hmm. If something happens and you're like, oh, I need a new roof. I need, and, the, and these are two different properties potentially. Yeah. You know, it's two water heaters. Yeah. It's four toilets. Right. It's two sets of plumbing. It's stoves, refrigerators, tree, washer, dryer. Could be like our tree and just trying yeah. to like eat our plumbing. Which is a thing, especially from houses from the 60s, you know? Anything could happen. It's just all interesting to me. And I, I'm with you. Like, I've always maintained when people rail against homelessness and what that looks like in our current era I'm always the one who's like what makes you think that you're not next unless you you have do you mean like what are we gonna do about all these homeless like that sort of or like I am tired of looking at like that kind of that and the high and mighty attitude about how like it could potentially never happen to you (laughs) no like people have that attitude all the time Mm -hmm. of like oh they were wasteful they didn't do what they were like somehow the blame is on the person which whatever again back to what if I only have two shitty choices but my argument which is why people think I'm a socialist is a socialist. I'm nothing. I mean, that's not true, but it's like one of those things where I'm just like, okay, thanks for making an assumption based on something that I just said, because I've lived experience of having lost a job and then not having any money, any savings because I wasn't earning enough to save anything. And if it hadn't been for my family being close by and the ability for them to be able to pay my rent while I looked for a job because I was only getting like $500 a month and fucking that's not true I think it was getting like $1,600 a month in unemployment then I would have been homeless yeah and $1,600 is not enough for not in California and food and gas for two people Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's a whole thing. No, totally. It was There's... a whole thing. So then here I am saying <clears throat> like, oh, like how are how far how like how far out are you that you don't have to worry about having your house repossessed? I've heard Cricket. statistics. It's something and please don't quote me on at home. Just know that this is wrong, but <laughs> not by a lot. Okay. So just no, please don't quote me and come at me. Um, but I heard it's something, you know, it's like 60% of all Americans have less than a thousand dollar buffer in the bank. Oh, I've heard something similar. Like I've heard yeah. a, like the numbers may not be accurate, but exactly. the sentiment is. Thank you. Thank you. It's a large, per, it's a large chunk. I want to say the majority and it, and it, the figure is less than a thousand dollars in the bank, yeah. which means that most of us are one emergency away. Mm-hmm. From either going into debt or being out on the street. And sometimes it's not even a fucking emergency. Sometimes yeah. it's a scheduled operation that you need to have that suddenly is a huge bill that comes that you thought your insurance was supposed to pay for. Like, that's the thing that really bothers me about this high and mighty attitude about how like people are when it comes to housing. Because unless you have a job that pays you millions of dollars a year the average american can't like survive through it like look at how many people lost their homes during the pandemic like those numbers are staggering that is proof positive that we aren't doing what we need to be doing to ensure we have our needs met and by we i mean capitalism (laughs) society society I was having a conversation because my couch has, you know, the cushion won't zipper up anymore. And and then when we got the dog, they told us she loves to eat cushions. So then of course I panicked, right? Because it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to pay for her surgery because you ate all this stuffing, right? So I tried to, I was looking for new couches and then I went online and I was complaining. I was like, why are couches so expensive? Like I literally just want a couch. And then someone was like, go on Amazon. And I thought everything from Amazon is that I like is still fairly expensive and the cheaper stuff all says things like this has car you know cancer causing chemicals in it 
So, okay. And the reviews are like, this is basically made out of cardboard. Yeah. So I'm going to pay $200 for something. I'm just going to have to replace it again because I sat on it too hard. Yeah. Um, and so somebody DM'd me and they're like, don't you know, everybody puts everything on credit card and we all live maxed out. And that made me panic. I was like, are we all collectively living on credit? Like, so you're telling me that literally nobody makes enough money to support any lifestyle that they choose to be in? This could be like a larger conversation for like a whole, this could be an episode series would be like real talk. Yeah. Um, You know that a huge part of my story about getting organized in my life included a big financial journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started it, I was like 30 grand in debt between my student loans and consumer credit cards. So it was about like five grand or so in credit cards and the rest was student loans. Um, we do have credit cards, but they're paid off every month now mm-hmm. and we're debt free except for our mortgage. It's like no car debt and stuff, but that took so much time. Mm-hmm. And informs a lot of decisions now because the amount of anxiety that I've had, I'm like, I don't, I would probably have a heart attack if I like had that again Mm -hmm. now, like Mm -hmm. those same feelings at this age. (laughs) I get that. But I do like the idea of you coming back and having a conversation about representation of money in general in Mm. pop culture. Mm-hmm. And what sort of messages we receive from that and have received from that. Yeah. That I, mean, I think would be interesting. That, I know that was a big chunk of, not big, but a chunk of what we talked about in the Sex in the City episode. And yeah, I could talk, I could talk a lot about financial journey and I, and, and I, and I'm happy to anytime. Oh, Brewster's Millions. Have you ever seen Brewster's Millions? Yeah. That movie was the confirmation I was looking for to have just a couple of just enough of a millions of dollars so I could live off interest. <laughs> Dude, compound interest. What a lesson. Right. Compound. Oh, my gosh. I know. Right. No, that's that's seriously. That's the dream. Mm-hmm. You're like, you telling me there can be enough in the bank so I can just stop working. Mm hmm. Sign me up, buddy. So back to parenthood, you know, there's a lot that we could actually probably get into when it comes to parenthood, the different types of motherhood. Like we mentioned, you know, Sarah kind of hops from job to job to job. Julia is an attorney. Um, Christina, Adam's wife, you know, she's a stay at home mom. And like, even just the financial impacts of all of their choices, we could totally talk about that independently of this conversation. Um, Or just like the family dynamic, like there's so much to unpack about this show. And it would be interesting if, cause you know, now all the rages is like all these shows that we loved at one point from the nineties and early two thousands are now coming back with cast members talking about each episode and doing like a scene by scene conversation it'd be really interesting to see if parenthood would like I would I would actually I would tune into a parenthood one I think a hundred percent and you haven't even dipped into race at all no oh my god big thing on this show too because you know why I don't I that's a bigger conversation because there's a lot of things about because as you and I both know the bay area has more diversity than what parenthood showed yeah yeah also i'll never stop being pissed that they recast the baby the second child of crosby and jasmine yeah i will never ever get over that yeah yeah well we all know i got stuff to say about that because nobody believes that i look like my parents so uh same mm-hmm. same same mm-hmm. carly <laughs> thank you for joining me on this asmr version of pop culture makes me jealous <laughs> i am so happy to be here i really appreciate it and um thank you for letting me talk so much about three ninjas and <laughs> also a little bit about camille and um just i i just really appreciate you
I appreciate you. Will you please tell our friends at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online? Absolutely. You can find me at tidyrevival.com or on all the socials at Tidy Revival. And because it launches at the time of this recording, it launches in two days. So I almost forgot it. And you can find me at the Tidy Revival podcast. And pals, we will link everything in the show notes. So there's absolutely no excuses for you to avoid our guest and her presence and what (laughs) she does. (laughs) And sometimes I'm succinct. So be on the lookout for that too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, life's hard after a 20 year high school reunion. (laughs) (laughs) We had a time. Which there is no evidence online that I existed, that I attended. (laughs) I, I was going through the group today and it's like, I am not in what I didn't, I avoided the group picture. I avoided, apparently there's like no evidence except for our crapper snappers, <laughs> which I'm not oh, loading oh, into the oh. group. Oh, crappers. I was for like friends at home. Crappers. A crapper snapper is when you take a picture of yourself in the mirror of a bathroom, which everyone at home needs to know. Don't ask me to do it because I don't <laughs> know how, and my angles are trash as everyone reconfirmed told you hmm? is that what we told you that your yeah. angles were well, trash i also was like i don't think i'm good at this you're like let me everyone's like let me oh my god no <laughs> god no 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 somebody else anybody else anyone else so funny i mean it was true but I didn't think they were that bad when you sent them. Were those ones that maybe your Becca took? Yes. Okay. Those are ones that anyone else. Okay. All right. I was feeling myself that night though, girl. All them pictures where I was like, look at me looking hot. I definitely thought I looked hot. (laughs) You did look hot. You do look hot. We all looked hot. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah, we did. That was just a fact for those of you at home. That was a fact. I was maybe i'll maybe i'll post a picture i don't maybe maybe we'll see okay (laughs) friends like always i appreciate you tuning in and i will see you in the dms pop culture makes me jealous is written edited and produced by me julia washington and i am fueled by the incredible support system of women who allow me to run ideas cry melt down whenever i feel overwhelmed i also want to do a big shout out to our patreon community thank you for your continued support it brings me great joy to bring you quality content and monthly get-togethers thanks for tuning in y'all until next time